0: This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, episodes 5 and 7. Yeah, this planet and this virus resembles no other virus I've ever seen phylozygotic it goes straight for the brain cells short-circuiting all nerve endings as if by design like a computer virus and i don't think i can stop it now danziger has it and baines and i just i don't know if i'm up to it welcome to continuum drag the podcast that invites you to join us in the virtual citizen i'm luke here with my co-host jordan what's real jordan what's
1: real what's real that's something real blue blood like you would say (laughs)
0: a lot of class warfare this episode there there was yeah um well before we get into these episodes jordan i uh wanted to i kind of done a little bit of research on the creators of earth 2 which surprisingly there are four credited creators i
1: know one just goes by billy ray
0: yeah and he seems to get i guess the first he gets it's billy ray and and then the other three seem to share a joint credit. So it does feel like, for some reason, he's like the lead of the four creators.
1: Do you think he got one office and the other three had to share another one?
0: Uh, I mean, that would establish the hierarchy, wouldn't it?
1: Or they're all in one room, but his desk is much taller.
0: Oh, that's good, too. He gets a high chair. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. That's not why you called. <laughs> well, uh, before we get into them, I thought I'd take a page from your book very quickly and uh, give you a little a little pop quiz oh great yeah okay there are four creators and i have five tv series here and you have to guess which one of these shows one of the creators was not a part of okay great
1: hold on luke you have to call this thing something
0: i i do i do i have to make up a name for it yeah yeah yeah. we
1: call it uh uh uh, uh tiddlywinks extreme Q music
0: Right, nothing more evocative than Tiddlywinks Extreme. <laughs> All right, I can't wait to play. All right, so here are the five series. You choose the one that no one who created the show was involved in. Miami Vice, hmm. ER, The Wonder Years, Gemini Man, the feature film, and Beverly Hills 90210. Wow,
1: those are some uh, some well-known TV shows. I'm kind of surprised. Okay. I think the show they weren't involved in, they got to be on Wonder Years because that's too weird of a show to just pull out of nowhere. I bet you they were on Nine Hundred Two and Zero. Uh, and what were the other the other two options? Three options?
0: Miami Vice. Hmm. ER. And the feature film starring William Smith, Gemini Man.
1: I think the one that they didn't work on is
0: Miami Vice. I'm sorry, you're incorrect. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was it? It was Beverly Hills 90210 wasn't what's her face in that Rebecca Gayhart am I making a mistake I don't know actually that's a good question it seems like she would be in that show <laughs> it's definitely the right time frame and she's the uh, right it girl to do it
1: yeah so uh, anyways that that's what threw me but uh, regardless those are some pretty
0: uh, high caliber TV shows. Yeah, well, let's start with Billy Ray, since he's kind of the lead featured creator on this, and he's actually primarily known as a feature writer. The thing he had done just before this TV series that probably is what made his name and probably what got his... He hadn't done much before, it, but when he wrote The Color of Night, the erotic Bruce Willis thriller. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. When did that come out? Late 80s, early 90s, I guess? Yeah, 94 in that whole uh, basic instinct uh, craze. Right. This is post Hudson Hawk. I think anyway, or was that 96? I don't know. Anyways, it sounds like a classic anyway. He's not really known as a TV writer. Like he had written that feature, did this TV show, and he's done a few. He's got a few TV shows credited to him coming out soon, but he's really known as a feature writer. And I'm going to tell you some movies he's written. Okay. And you'll be blown away. <laughs> I hope one of them is blown away. Remember that movie, Tommy Lee Jones? Hunger Games. Oh, Weird. Captain Phillips, and in the last year, in 2019, he wrote Gemini Man by Will Smith, Terminator Dark Fate, and Richard Jewell by Clint Eastwood. Wow.
1: I don't think I've seen any of those movies. However, they're all very different genres of movies, so good on him that, I mean, I don't know what the, the quality of these movies is, but he's getting them made. I mean, they've got Hollywood's biggest stars. He's quite clearly a
0: pretty high-up screenwriter these days. Mm. And it all started from an erotic thriller Starring Bruce Willis. There you go. I actually think the TV show he's got coming out is a miniseries about the Mueller report. <laughs> I mean, I- exciting, I guess. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine anything more exciting?
1: Ah, uh, get, get me those that paperwork. Yeah, you. More staples. There's a lot of just people yelling stuff across an office for literal paperwork. Oh, that sounds pretty fun.
0: Where are our office supplies? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I clearly know a lot about what was in the, uh, the report that I think it's all... The, the real conflict is just about the lack of office supplies.
0: Highlighter colors, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So uh, next up in sort of this sort of three grouping of creators who ju- sort of join Billy Ray in here is Michael Duncan. He uh, He's a bit of a career TV writer. He's worked on Miami Vice, Law and & Order, and more recently Grimm. Okay. Then there's Carol Flint, also a career TV writer. She worked on L.A. Law, E.R., The West Wing, and more recently Designated Survivor.
1: I think that's a, probably a better resume of the two.
0: Yeah, you like, you like that career a little better? I think so. If I
1: had to choose,
0: <laughs> and I have to. And finally, uh, Mark Levin, who weirdly is probably the most prolific of this set of three, because he uh, originally had done The Wonder Years and then had written a couple films, Madeline and then that Brendan Fraser Journey to the Center of the Earth. But most recently, he's been writing uh, Netflix, his show Big Mouth. Oh,
1: okay, yeah. Um, Someone, you know, uh, Billy mentioned it when he was on that it was a show he really liked. I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, he's he's a big fan of that. And kind of interestingly, with that is he co-created that with uh, I guess his wife Jennifer Flackett, who is also a writer on Earth Two. And as far as I can tell, it's the first credit they have together. So I don't know if they were married on this or perhaps they met on Earth Two. But she actually wrote a couple of the better episodes. So it's just funny that I guess they. Started working together here and have continued working together into like 2020.
1: Well, that's a nice story. The the show died, but their love is forever.
0: Their love is forever. Mm-hmm. All right, Jordan. Well, that's sort of the, the breakdown of kind of what the creators did. It's kind of interesting. I have to imagine Billy Ray must have come up with the idea and pitched it, perhaps even as a feature film, and then the other three TV writers were maybe brought in to break it as a series?
1: Or maybe he just maybe uh, the other people were brought in because he didn't have a track record yet and no one trusted him.
0: Yeah, it could be. I mean, he's still given the primary credit. Just kind of interesting because usually you see one or two creators and this one just has such a weird mash of three creators and one clearly elevated above the others. I was just like, what a what a weird mix for a show that feels relatively cohesive. It doesn't feel like there's like a ton of hands in the pot necessarily. Well, it might have been
1: that um, the studio got nervous when he insisted that there'd be an episode where a Grendler might sexually assault one of the characters.
0: <laughs> I, I knew that's how you'd read that episode. I knew that's how you'd read this episode. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's a lead into this episode. All right, well, first of all, let's start off with the IMDb summary for episode five, A Memory Play. With narr- narration by Adair the colonists find other crew members dead or gravely ill. As Dr. Heller searches for the cause and cure for the illness, Adair considers whether the ship was sabotaged. And that was courtesy of our good friend Z.W. Zimdapa. Oh, Zimdapa, I should start
1: by saying you were right. I think it was in maybe the first podcast we did, Luke, on this show, where you questioned, were we seeing all the all of the people that were on the ship? And I said I was pretty sure that... By the end of the episode, that was the group we were going to have. But as we find in this episode very quickly, there are other people that also crash landed and they haven't found them. I did think it was a little weird because they don't seem like they have been looking for them. But regardless, we do learn that the people that have survived are larger than we initially thought.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a little weird too. And they're like, do introduce there were other escape pods. But no one seems to have mentioned or cared to look for the people yet. Like they've spent
1: all the time looking for, I don't know, Stuff for old sick kids, you know, his like, oh, we need to get him dandelions for his rash, but you know, not helping these poor people,
0: still sitting in their pods. I'll also note that, and maybe I misheard or maybe I'm reading into it a little, but when we meet the other potties, that's what I'm going to call them the other potties. Yeah, that's good. They mentioned that when they initially landed, the group couldn't decide what to do and they split into groups and all walked in different directions. And then what we'll find out is. Some of them got sick, but I wasn't sure if they meant all of the women on the pod got sick or if perhaps we're going to bump into further potties just wandering the earth, too.
1: Nice. I had assumed that everyone got sick, but I guess,
0: you know, only time will tell. Um, But yeah, essentially, this episode will deal with the fact there is people on another pod and they'll also kind of deal with the fact but what happened with the crash on Earth-2 with the original ship they came on? And we're going to see lots of flashbacks to the ship coming down and people running around like crazy. We've mentioned it before.
1: We're watching this in the intended order, not the order that they originally aired in. So I watched this particular episode a few weeks ago when I thought we were going to be watching it in the, in the other order. And I do think it works better here than it did where I watched it. I think it's episode, what, four or five, something like that. Right. If only because I think this whole part of why the crash happened works better with these two episodes back to back. Because when I originally watched this, I was like, who cares about this? There's nothing resolved and we don't really learn anything. So why do I am supposed to care? But I think once you couple this with the eventual episode we'll talk about next is uh, I think it gets a little bit better.
0: It It feels a little more cohesive. That's interesting to know. Mm hmm. But essentially, yeah, what we're opening on is a lingering tension in the crew. There's a lot of people throwing blame around for who's at fault for crashing the ship. Morgan uh, gets uh, gets sort of in trouble because Dan is really checking him out for that escape pot he, he stole originally.
1: But it does seem like, for whatever reason, everyone now is getting irritated about things that they should have been irritated weeks ago. Like... Danziger's sort of irritated at Morgan for taking that escape pod. And as we're going to find in a couple scenes, Devin's like, maybe we should go back and look into the recordings and see like why we crashed. I was like, you didn't do that this whole time you've been on the planet.
0: Yeah. It does seem like these tensions sort of flare up a little bit out of nowhere. It would have been nice to like see the middle. Like I think someone, Oh yeah. I think solace blames Danziger cause he was like in charge of maintenance. And, and then some random extra blames Solace because he was the pilot. Like everyone just is suddenly up in arms with each other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite work, but I mean, it's just setting the tone of that everyone's grumpy now. It's true. What I what I did like is they because they finally went back to the fact that Danzinger knows that Morgan uh, sold that pod, and uh, first of all, Morgan's given up on the ponytail. He's just got his long hair flowing. And uh,
1: his wife, Bess, played by Rebecca Gayhart, she's entirely given up on the generic southern
0: accent. Yeah, smart move. Yeah, I agree. But uh, Danziger keeps giving the evil eye, and Morgan is quite clearly very timid around him, to the point that uh, Danziger's daughter, True, is talking to her dad. She's just like, Morgan seems very afraid of you. And Dan uh, Danziger turns to his daughter and says... Yeah, he should be afraid of me. And I was like, whoa, tough guy, really trying to impress your daughter.
1: (laughs) Remember he was being a tough guy in his voiceover before? He's just bringing it bit to real life
0: now. Yeah, but he's not even actually threatening Morgan. He's just like telling his daughter like, yeah, I'll beat him up. Don't worry. (laughs) Well, I mean, whatever works. There's only so many people to impress, I suppose um did you also like and uh, sorry we're jumping around a little bit here but did you also like that in this opening scene and then throughout the episode suddenly like three of the background crew suddenly get like a lot of lines (laughs) yeah and i think one is called banes i think
1: or something like that it's it's funny because i think these people to the show's credit have been in the background before like they don't seem like they're new faces but to be suddenly given personalities and dialogue is weird when you already have
0: such a large
1: cast of people that we've already established
0: yeah i went i went on to find out what the rest of the names are. there was baines mm-hmm. there's that woman who seems to be in charge of the armory her name is magus yeah with the funny hair she's got the worst hair and then there's just like another generic tough guy and his name is wallman wallman hmm i don't even remember him he's been around he just kind of hangs out with danzinger i think oh yeah yeah he's he i think he's pulled a gun a few times Exactly, exactly. But yes, you're right. Like this is kind of this whole thing. Where it's like let's look into who caused the crash. Yale, you're a robot, sort of, but your <laughs> eye is also a camera. So why don't you look at the crash footage in your memory bank from your point of view and see if you could figure something else out? I believe at some point he's just like Devon. I've checked my mind's eye. Um, <laughs>
1: that's funny. Um, don't you think they should have checked with Zero though? Don't you think he's a more reliable robot? He's, he's 100% robot. What's his face is only, what, like 40% robot? Yeah, but they kept him in storage. He didn't even have a head for a while. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so all his recording would just be a black box.
0: Essentially, though, we get to see a little bit of like RoboVision from old Yale that sort of looking into, you know, RoboCop style stuff. And he's basically got a VHS deck in his head. There's like a <laughs> rewind button and a play button yeah, on the true. actual like footage. And he's like looking around and he happens to notice there's just this random compartment that says unlocked. And he's like, uh oh, that means it was sabotage. I don't know if all
1: of this worked, but I mean, I get it was just to propel the story forward. But I don't know. I just don't understand how his memory worked and how he spotted this thing. I just thought it was done kind of haphazardly.
0: Jordan, listen up, y'all. It's sabotage. (laughs) Did you have that written down? I should have written it down. That should have been the line he said. He should have like stopped the whole the whole proceedings and said that. That'd be pretty good. If it was J.J. Abrams, that's what would have happened. That's true. It would have been the start of a Star Trek movie. He would have yeah. gotten a convertible. <laughs> he just peels off. Um, small side note too. Did you catch that? Uh, Yel wasn't just uh, Yuli's tutor. She was all, He was also the Devon's tutor when she was a child. First question
1: is, how old is he? And secondly, what a horrible life of servitude this poor guy's got, huh? Yeah, no doubt, right? I was just like, man, oh man, he's just been doing this
0: for decades.
1: Also, you think he would have some maybe better tools at dealing with children. When we saw him last time actually tutoring the two kids, he couldn't keep True even
0: sitting down. That's true. I mean, he's used to a very well-mannered breed of child, not these, like, unruly uh, working-class kids. Oh,
1: yeah, and they, and we're going to learn they get called something in the next
0: episode. What do they call them? Uh, drones, I believe, is the... Drones! D- that's what it is, yeah. Um. But moving on with this episode, Jordan, what to what I assume was your favorite part of the episode, Morgan is being stalked by a Grendler. It is the weirdest
1: B-plot they have had yet in this show, because it really doesn't seem like they've set this up at all. And they just keep going back to it. Like it starts, like there's a series of scenes, like the first time he goes to urinate in the woods and there's a Grendler peeping on him. Then later on he goes, I can't remember. He goes to do something else. A Grendler shows up and it's all several times, like on top of him, drooling on him. And as we're going to, I'm sure talk uh, in great detail, there's a scene where
0: it makes him take all his clothes off. That's true. It is very funny because they set it up, no one ever else ever sees a Grendler, so there's this like concept that maybe this is like a Harvey Rabbit kind of imaginary yeah. Grendler. But rest assured, it's a real
1: Grendler. Is this uh, just supposed to be played entirely for laughs? Is that what this joke is? Is
0: sort of like he's a cartoon character, so this is his cartoon storyline. I think so. I mean, I thought it was pretty fun. It was very dumb, but uh, it was it was a moment of levity in a show that doesn't always have a lot of it.
1: I would agree with that,
0: yeah. Essentially, though, Morgan is dealing with guilt from that escape pod he crashed, and this Grendler seems to somehow relate to that, or at least he's viewing it that way. And he finally, like, it eats at him so much that he goes into his tent, and he confesses to his wife, Bess, that he's a coward, and that he Windshear didn't really tear the escape pod off, but he actually, like, pulled it so they could get away.
1: Yeah, and then she's all like, Yeah, I know that. Like, I know who you are. I'm not stupid. I did like that, too. She was just like, yeah, no shit. I know who I married. Yeah. But her solution to his guilt is that she feels like he should admit this to everybody and uh, seek their forgiveness. But what I like is they do do that, but he never speaks. She actually does it all for him.
0: I like that too. You like cut from the scene where she's just like, "You should confess to her," explaining all of that to the entire per- the entire crew. While he sits silently next to her, And I think one of the extras even is just like, "Well, if he's sorry, why doesn't he talk to us?" Never speaks though. Yeah. <laughs> so there you are. Really, the actual plot of this episode involves those missing uh, those missing podsters, whatever I called them before. The other escape pod. Isn't that what Steve
1: wanted? Uh, people who listen to this podcast called. No, that was dragsters.
0: They're dragsters. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, and of course, no good plot on Earth 2 would start without True screaming at something she found in the woods.
1: I'm telling you, this kid was cast because she's a good screamer and they use it
0: all the time. She's found the grave of one of the Eden Eden Products <laughs> one of the Eden Project's crew members from the Unfound Escape Pod. And uh, you know what this means, Jordan time to go looking time for a search party we should
1: have been keeping track from the beginning how many search parties is this now it's got to be five at least
0: i think there's maybe uh, has only one episode where no one said the word search party
1: (laughs) so uh, i just don't know how well organized this group is if they need so many search parties but
0: anyway yeah they gear up and head out and uh actually i like the gear this time we see a couple new guns they have like morgan's carrying around a little laser gun that looks like a snub nose detective's revolver (laughs) yeah all
1: of their weapons seem like they're sort of versions of super soakers that have been painted
0: i also thought something similar they all kind of look like real guns but then they're just like slightly modified for a futuristic effect i actually kind of like them i kind of like every weapon they have because they're all such weird little designs yeah i I like them too i think it's one of the better better designs on this show better than those courses (laughs) classic future costume yeah (laughs) they find more graves out there and eventually danzinger and uh baines the uh that that background man who becomes a front ground man yeah They spot uh, an escape pod and are able to approach it and find another dead body, but inside of it, two survivors from the crash who are quite ill with the disease, and they turn out to be Danzinger's old friends. Uh, Look,
1: the reason they do that is it's a nice shorthand. uh, It's a nice shortcut to have the audience feel emotions towards them because he has this past relationship with them. But again, it's sort of weird that He's goes on and on about how much he likes these two and their past history and their closeness, but he's literally never mentioned
0: them or shown any concern up to this point. It's, it's very true. Uh, there are Firestein and Wentworth, I guess a married couple of some sort. Mm-hmm. That's what's implied anyway. They've been infected by a contagion and that's what's killed the rest of their crew from the pod. And now Danziger and Baines themselves have been uh, infected as well. So very quickly, we're we're into a pandemic, Jordan.
1: Yeah, I know it's, it's, uh,
0: it's, it's TV mimicking life,
1: you know, 25 years later.
0: It's kind of great because uh, soon after they find them, Devin and Dr. Heller arrive and Danziger's put together what's happening. So when they arrive, they're kind of like, we'll climb down the cliff to you and come down. And Danziger yells up to Devin. She's like, don't come down. Don't come down. She's like, no, shut up. I'm coming down. So he has to shoot a gun at her to stop her. Yeah. And I will give him this. Uh, They develop a little bit of their
1: very uh, somewhat combative relationship in the next episode. But these two can never just do what the other one says ever. And this is just another
0: example of it. It is very much something they've really laid into. It's like if one of them says one thing, the other person's going to do the opposite unless forced to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Unless someone shoots a laser gun. So they, they send old Zero the Robot down who helpfully announces to everyone on the bottom. It's like, I can't get sick. And I was like, "Yeah, no shit, robot." <laughs> He's just letting everyone know that's like, "Yeah, that's why we're sending you down." He's like, "Did I let you know I was a robot?" And he hands out those. Uh, I believe we get a name for them this time. They're those eyeglasses they wear for communication. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the little like future eyeglasses. Uh, they call them Dex. Oh, is that what
1: they called them? Dex, huh? Hmm. Do you think they're spelled D E C K S
0: or D E X? Oh, I want them to the X. That that would be great. Yeah. But it is great because they're basically setting these down so that they can talk to the infected people. And I was just watching this. I'm like, uh, classic quarantine in a, pand- in a pandemic. Everybody's just video conferencing. I
1: know. My note uh, was just like, they're just Zooming now. That's that's what everyone's doing. They're just getting on Zoom with goggles. With, with sorry, with uh, with decks. This show really ahead of its time. <laughs> I guess. Oh, and can we mention one thing about this? Uh, these decks, which I've mentioned before. I I think I've mentioned this. The weird thing about this is every time they show someone using one of these, so they put on their sort of like like a monocle on a hinge, sort of is what it looks like, the other person sees the person they're talking to their face, but they're not wearing the glasses. And I always thought that was weird because I'm like, well, where's the camera on this? But they do actually later on show that they sort of like digitally fade away for some reason. Oh, weird. So it's like a hologram of their face maybe being created? I suppose, because it doesn't make any sense
0: where the camera is on these glasses. It is funny. I had noted how close, because they're very much like a Google glasses. They're like right on your eye, basically. So I never understood how the camera would work shooting back, but I hadn't noticed. You're right, that the camera's too far back to be showing the face. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I mean, it's just because it's a fun effect to have someone talking and seeing
1: the other person in their glasses, but... I don't know if decks are, uh, I'm going to put stock on them, you know what I'm
0: saying? Well, what they kind of learn, or Dr. Heller learns about the disease, is it, it causes a lot of pain, but it also causes the people who are infected with it to, like, re-experience memories very vividly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And it's, again, it's a nice way for the writers in the show to
1: establish the history that, I can't remember the lady's name, sorry, um, but uh, Wentworth, is that her name? Wentworth, that's her. Yeah, Wentworth and Danziger, their, their shared history. She's essentially reliving all those memories.
0: Dr. Heller basically takes this information, takes a couple of the corpses back to camp, and she's going like, to set like up a little quarantine lab to sort of do an autopsy and see what she can figure out about this virus or disease. And Dan Zinger kind of has a heart-to-heart with Devin, sort of asking her to look after True for him if he dies because he doesn't want her to grow up alone. And uh, almost immediately, like, I think they have that conversation, and the next scene is True sneaks away from camp and heads to the quarantine zone, And like her dad has to stop her from climbing down the hill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She didn't get watched very well. I was like, Danziger should be a lot angrier about this. But basically kind of what we're going to come to learn is the virus seems to be something that goes straight to the brain and short circuits the nerve endings. Um, But, uh, you know, to your point, Jordan, she doesn't have any idea how it works or why.
1: (laughs) I, I know I'm hard on Dr. Heller, but I think it's in the next few scenes she's going to find the cure for this. But the way she finds the cure is the most ridiculous way ever. And if this is how she's doing her medical work, a lot more people are going to be dying.
0: (laughs) It's very much by happenstance. Yeah, she's like, she's like, I can solve anything if there's a coincidence. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, as Yale puts it, when they're talking about disease, it sure looks like a computer virus. (laughs) And don't they say at one point they need to send Wentworth that he's there like we have to send her
1: medical chip in for analysis. I was like, where's this medical chip?
0: Yeah, I think they'll talk about it a little bit, but she has a medical history, and I guess so that means if you have a lot of medical history, you have a medical chip?
1: Yeah, but where is it? Was it like a a dog tag, or was it actually inside of the body?
0: No, it seemed to just be a dog tag with her medical history on it. Hmm, convenient. Meanwhile, while this is happening, Morgan is having a little nap, and his Grendler friend sneaks in and drools all over his hand. Yeah, and it's
1: kind of a comical scene, and uh, he sort of freaks out. And what I like about this, though, is it's something I alluded to earlier. He gets all the saliva all over him, and he freaks out, runs into the medical tent where Dr. Julia Heller is doing tests for whatever whatever she's doing. She's pretending she's working. And he just starts flinging the saliva all over the tent in a in a very, like, there's something about Mary sort of comical scene.
0: Yeah, just splash and drool everywhere. <laughs> but... Can you believe the coincidence that that's a good thing? I know, right? The drool is a cure for the virus. And not only that, it's apparently a pharmaceutical miracle drug. It's such a dumb thing to have done.
1: And you just sort of accept it because what else are they going to do? But it just is like, guys, it's so lazy.
0: It is a lot. I mean, so far we've seen that the Tarians are just like there to help Yuli his syndrome and now the drool is also like some sort of super cure for all human ailments i mean how helpful can this planet be <laughs> yeah well i will
1: say later on we do learn that uh instead of like normal lake water we have like electricity water so it's not all good
0: <laughs> there are a few dangers they rarely run into them though
1: so now we got a cure because the guys that drooled on everything conveniently
0: And basically, they need to get more Grendler drool. So Morgan volunteers to go out and find his stalker and try to get more for them. And like they send him out into the wilderness to trade for Grendler drool. And they just send him with more of those flashlights. I'm like, we know they don't want those flashlights. Yeah, I like that. They just have
1: an extra stock of those. So they're just always trying to to add those into a deal. They're like, what about these lights? Do you like these things? Never do. They never want them. No. But what does the Grendler want, Luke?
0: The Grendler wants Morgan to do a striptease?
1: Yeah, and it's... here's (laughs) This scene, and there's a scene in the next episode where I think this is just the humor that the writers in the show like. And there's shades of space rangers here, I think, which is, wouldn't it be hilarious if we sort of imply that uh, the Grendler maybe assaulted uh, a man...
0: I, I'm not sure it goes quite as far as that, but the scene is basically, he's asking the Grendler, like, if you don't want a flashlight, what do you want? And the Grendler, like, points at his shirt, and he's like, oh, the shirt off my back? Absolutely. And then the Grendler comes over, and because he's wearing a second shirt under his first shirt, and the Grendler, like, tears that shirt off his body, so now he's shirtless. And then the Grendler just starts wandering around, staring at his pants, and Morgan's like, uh oh, yeah, I mean take from it what you will I think it's just
1: like isn't it a hilarious gag
0: yeah I mean
1: I think they're he sexually assaulted him is what I'm saying
0: I don't know if it's supposed to go that far but I it is supposed to I guess be like isn't it funny that he had to give up all his clothes to this grendler? yeah
1: anyways he does what he's got to do this is his uh, way of apologizing to help the help the whole team out by getting more of the saliva but Luke they don't show how he gets the saliva how do you think he got it
0: well, he brought a thermos. I assume he just like had it drool into the thermos, like just put its tongue in the thermos.
1: <laughs> while, it's, while it's just salivating over those new pants, those new slacks it's, uh, it now owns.
0: I mean, he's getting to see that hot Morgan body. i be <laughs> salivating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it looks like we have a cure now. We just need to get it to those people
0: and get it in time. We, uh, we bounce back to the quarantine zone and uh, Wentworth has died of her infection. Unfortunately, she hasn't made it. But when she dies, they're able to do a bit of an autopsy on her. And like we said, she's a medical chip because she's had numerous laser surgeries for her chronic brain tumor condition. (laughs) Now, when they said that, I know this is not going
1: to sound nice, but I thought, is she a suitable candidate to go up in a
0: spaceship? I think it's just like in the future, if you're just some working class schlub, surgery is easy and they don't mind sending you in your fragile state out to work on ships. Yeah, I, I guess so. But the point is of this is the last surgery she had on her brain, the government had a motivation. Oh, no. Sorry. A neuro motivation chip installed in her, uh, I guess, similar to something Yale has in his in his mind as a cyborg. Mm-hmm. And this chip reacted strangely to being in the atmosphere of Earth Two, leaked into her brain and then somehow it became an airborne infection that traveled to the other crew and started killing them and now only Grendler saliva can stop it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, the leaps of logic you have to do here, and I know it's a science fiction show, but this is sloppy at best.
0: Yeah, it really is just like, so her mind control chip broke down, became airborne nanites that could fly around and infect anyone's brain. It's just like, this is not How technology works, you guys,
1: yeah. But the important part is they've introduced a new character, you're supposed to feel something for her, and then they killed her
0: very quickly. You wouldn't want a new character, and it is, you know, very disturbing when you watch it. And they're the only two people of color who have had lines for seven episodes. I know it
1: is funny, it's a very white cast, it's not funny actually at all, but it's problematic to introduce these characters, and you're like, oh, okay
0: there's now some more representation. They're like, no, no, we're going to kill just those two. I mean, the only step in the right direction is that that Bane's background character, who's also a black man, finally has lines. And because he's been infected with the two of them, kind of feels like a real character suddenly, and he'll stick around. But it was just like, you know, looking back in 2020, it's just like, oh, one episode where there aren't white people? How strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very uh, unfortunate for this show anyway. But before they can get the vaccine... The other guy who survived, Firesteed, also starts to die. He explains to Danzinger that essentially what happened on the ship was that Wentworth caused the crash due to her mind control chip. He sort of caught her, I guess, melting the fuses for the freight release.
1: Mm -hmm. It
0: takes very little to crash the ship, by the way. Yeah, it did seem like that was like, I was just like, that's it?
1: That's all it took? She like burned one wire in a humongous ship that is designed uh, to not only house all these people with environmental controls and to be able to put people to sleep for decades and have all the supplies for restarting a society. But if you burn that one wire, all bets are off.
0: (laughs) But essentially, the sabotage is solved. The rest of the crew will be, I guess, uh, absolved. None of them are responsible. We now have a culprit. It's these poor this poor woman who's dead and now her dead husband and we we get a scene where firestein dies and an angelic vision of wentworth appears to him to help him cross over and at first it's just like okay this is just a near-death hallucination he's having yeah but she leans in and kisses the side of danziger's head and he can feel the kiss yeah what was the point of that I mean, I'm not convinced. I think it still might have been meant as a po- uh, a poetic. Uh, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Poetic. I'm looking for the word poetic. It's <laughs> like a poetic ending. But it also might be confirmation there's an afterlife on Earth, too.
1: Ah, uh, I've said it before, Luke, but I think you are giving more credit to this show than is maybe there on the screen. I think they just thought, wouldn't it be cool if this spirit came And she can also sometimes touch people, but I don't think they're ever going to go back to that or it's part of a grander design.
0: I only will disagree because we had a conversation between the original captain and Morgan where the captain went to heaven and Morgan went to hell when they both were stabbed by that little monster.
1: That's a good point. And by the way, where is that little monster?
0: Yeah, when True released it, I guess they left it back in its natural habitat. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little thing. I think it was orphaned. I would love to see more of those little monsters. Hopefully, they come back. I agree. At any rate, the episode ends with Danzinger and Baines being cured. And, you know, they're all gathered around having a beautiful moment together. The whole team being like, now we're all absolved of the crime. We can move forward without any more guilt. And as the camera pans across them all, the Grendler's just standing behind Morgan again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It didn't get enough. He's like, uh, more pants, please. I really hope that Grendler is just perpetually stalking him going forward, because it is such a weird concept. It's not the next episode, but you'll never know. But just before the show ends, though, there's one last twist in store for us.
1: Yeah, we get to Dr. Julia. She goes outside, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, she like vomits up a little pill that's essentially like a microphone, and then she starts talking to someone on that, saying, That there's a grander conspiracy about that uh, the crash was actually planned.
0: Yeah, she's she's communicating with someone and she says, I've joined you on the planet monitoring Eden Project. I know you caused the crash and we get a real lost style twist here. Like Dr. Heller is working for the bad guys. And why hasn't she contacted them for three weeks? Hard to say. But we now know there's someone else on this planet. Do you like this sort of thing? Do you like these sorts of like this conspiracy twist in the show? Yeah, I'm on board with it. I I think it needs a little more There's not enough happening internally in the crew and I do find whatever's happening back on the stations to be a little more compelling. Hmm. So if I can bring a little more of that into the show, I'm I'm all I'm all for it. I'm still in the fence. My note to this was, "Oh, brother." <laughs> I I mean, I think I'm not a huge fan of just a straight pioneer story which is, seems to be that where most of these episodes are headed mm-hmm. so bringing a little bit more of this science fiction what's happening back on earth thing into it it, it helps me I think
1: well we're definitely going to get more of it in the next episode so why don't we get into it
0: here's the IMDb summary for episode 7 water the council created on those stations a world that was better than any world that came before it was clean it was safe It was free of almost all conflict. And they created you. Why? Because that world is not made by magic. It is made by hard work and hard decisions. Decisions which cannot be made with the heart, but must be made with the mind, with a mind like yours. With narration by Bess, the colonists face a dwindling water supply. Having a scan showing water 12 kilometers away Adair and Danzinger take six empty drums and ride the dune rail, but encounter Terrians. that again was courtesy of RW Zimdipa.
1: And uh, much like the last episode, uh, there's something we spoke about. I don't know if it was last podcast or the one previous. We mentioned that no one had lived on Earth for generations and generations. But in the previous episode and this episode, Bess mentions twice that she grew up on Earth. Oh, really? I missed that. Yeah. She mentions it in the previous episode, just as a passing comment, I think to uh, Julia makes some comment. She's like, oh, because I'm from Earth. And then this one, again, she says, uh, actually, to your point you've made before, which was she implies that things are very tough on Earth. So she knows how to get around rules, implying that that is probably why she's married Morgan. He has raised her out of a socioeconomic situation that she was in on Earth. Oh
0: wow, that really changes things for sort of the, some of the backstory. I, I thought Earth uninhabitable, inhabitable, but that does make it make sense, I guess, that Earth is a bad place to live, and that's mm-hmm. why you want to be on the stations.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But Jordan, the plot of this episode, can you believe it? The hydrocondensers can't work in this dry environment. <laughs> they have the worst machinery. Have we said it before? <laughs> uh, their waters their water's being rationed, they're running out. No one's been able to take a bath, someone says, because they all smell apparently.
1: Oh, and what's his face? What did he say? Uh, Dan Zinger says at one point, he's like, I haven't even been able to take a dry soap stall. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever that is. Yeah. The old,
0: I, I'm like, let's see it. Let's see what these dry soap stalls look like. But the scans they've done have picked up a lake that's nearby. And so uh, Devin and Danzinger are going to head out to see if they can get some water from this lake. And there's just this weird, like this gets going very quickly and there's just this funny scene where I guess they really are establishing what their relationship is this character back and forth I guess it's a little bit of that like 1940s screwball comedy like Mm -hmm. two butting headstrong like male female characters but I believe how it goes is she walks up to him and she tells Danziger Grenler stole our jugs and he just mumbles I heard and then she immediately says scanners found a lake he's like I know she's like you need to put you need to load the cart with with the jugs we have left he's like I already did This episode, they kind of want it both ways
1: because I've said it before. I I think I'm I'm team Danziger in this argument, but they really want to show that she has some talent and credibility that she can bring, even though, to be fair, up to this point, she's been a terrible, terrible leader.
0: Yeah, she's very headstrong is kind of the primary trait they've given her. And it does make for Danzer to be more fun because he's like always like kind of snot, snide and snotty with her. So it like gives them a fun repertoire, but doesn't give her much depth.
1: They do sort of at least let her be right. It shows um, in this episode and it and it does get to lighten him up a little bit because he's kind of like a little bit more bumbling in this episode.
0: Yeah, I would actually say both the characters probably fare a bit better than they have previously. Like she even gets a little more like backstory, at least to like fill mm-hmm. her out. But it's still a, they're really pushing for a budding romance, and I just don't feel there's not a lot of chemistry between them. Like they're fun to watch together, but it's it feels like it's being very forced.
1: Well, I think this and the other relationship, which is like the C plot of this episode of um, Alonzo and Julia. I mean. I,
0: it's a toss-up of which couple has less chemistry. And it's not to say any of the actors are bad around them. It just isn't like, it's just either we're not invested in those relationships or there's, you know, there's just of that mysterious force that makes you be like, oh, these two like each other. It doesn't feel well, that way. Well, it's just also like, why do we need this right now? Like, don't
1: you have enough conflict uh, and excitement on you've crashed on a planet and you're trying to survive? And it's like, you know, what if they also like, have crushes on each other it's like
0: ugh, i don't it doesn't need it i mean i don't mind it but it is also bad that they give like it's not bad but it's just awkward they've given it to two different sets of characters too so it's just like how like how many romance subplots do we need
1: two two apparently
0: although i will say one thing about the chemistry i would say old antonio Spada jr generates enough chemistry all by himself i totally <laughs> buy that he's in love with anyone walking by i would agree with you on that yeah okay but, you know, let's get into the Dr. Heller subplot since uh, we're going that direction anyway. She is summoned by that communication pill microphone thing she puked up last episode, which I don't know if you noticed, but she has to like hide it all episodes. So no no no. She has it. Yeah. And where does she hide it every single time in her armpit? Yes. I don't know how that works. She's constantly having to not lift her arms so it doesn't fall out. Like, it's so weird. That's what I mean. It's like that's a terrible spot. Also, she has pockets. It's not like they're getting frisked every day. Yeah, it was very funny. Such a strange choice. Um, but she basically gets a message on her little pill saying, join me in the virtual. And when she logs in, it's Terry O'Quinn. Mm-hmm. It's Santiago himself from Harsh Realm. I know. And where is he again? He's living in the virtual, just like Harsh Realm. <laughs> I know this, this poor guy.
1: He's just like, he gets another role. He's like, are you kidding me? I got to be another virtual character.
0: He is a member of the council, which I guess runs the stations, and he appears to be on Earth-2 somewhere. Um, he's very apologetic about the crash, and he sort of blames the other guy back on Earth, uh, Waylock, who we saw in the first episode, for all the chaos that's happened. Like He had a job, but he was overzealous. And he's really after where the Eden Project's current position is, but Dr. Heller's a little hesitant to give it to him. So he kind of has to remind her about, like, you know, what she believes, I guess, is that you know, the council has done a great job with the stations. They've built an amazing society. And like, that's what they're going to do here on Earth too, as well. So her job, I guess, is to guide the Eden Project to becoming a part of the council's idea of what this great society is going to be. And uh, did you catch
1: the the one real thing we learn about the council? What was that? They're uh, light years beyond vendettas. <laughs>
0: uh, not like you and me. We got so many vendettas. <laughs> I
1: know. Well, it's definitely not light years. If I, if I have my vendetta, what, the space between them, it's not light years. <laughs>
0: um, so this is kind of what we're seeing from her, this little subplot of her and what she's up to. She's basically working for some sort of council to do something on Earth to involving the Eden Project. Though it's unclear still whether the Eden Project was ever meant to make it here. Maybe they're just making the best of a bad situation, the council. I have a theory, though, and that
1: is the council has placed her and she's actually not a real doctor, or she has very little medical training. And she never was supposed to be the doctor because that other person was the doctor. And so that's why she sucks so bad, because she's actually not a doctor.
0: Hey, there's evidence to your point, because when she logs in to talk to this guy, she actually says, I wasn't supposed to be on the ship that came here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she was just like, she's like an actor or something. She's a crisis actor. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She just does reenactments. She wasn't ready for this. (laughs) Um, But her other subplot, the C plot you mentioned before, is uh, the romance with Solace. Um, While she's been there. She's been working on a pill that she's been splicing with plasma DNA in an effort to fix his leg, whatever plasma DNA is. You sound like you're poo-pooing it, Luke, but does it not work? It does work. He takes the pill. And suddenly his leg starts hurting real bad and he's really whiny about it. So she takes off his brace and then says, don't move your leg around or I'll have to re-break it. And I was just like, we'll put the brace back on. Why did you take the brace off? What I liked about it though is, <laughs> again, as a doctor,
1: uh, he even mentions, he says she has a bad bedside manner, but I like that she gives him a pill, gives him no instructions. And then he starts having this searing pain. And yes, he's complaining a lot, but she didn't tell him at all. It's like, you think you take the, p- the pill and go, just so you know, this is going to start hurting when it heals. But she's just like, yeah, he'll figure it out.
0: Well, after it's all over, too, she's been very, like, snotty with him the whole time he's screaming in pain as his leg automatically heals. And when it's all over, he starts criticizing her be- her bedside manner. But, you know, he still has the hotspur. So he turns to her and says, it's OK, though, quote, the nastier you get, the more I like it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and she's, you can't tell uh, if she's being coy or if she's not into it, but she uh, she basically, he's like, yeah, and she's like, nah. Yeah,
0: well, I think he comes back later, and to thank her for fixing his leg, he just makes out with her suddenly.
1: And then she's all conflicted, because she doesn't like him, and she's got a mission. She's pretending to be a, a doctor, but he's very handsome.
0: Well, even Bess at some point, like, corners her, and he's like, hey... You know what? It's hard on this planet. If you should get a boyfriend, that guy over there is available. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's everyone's got some advice, but yeah, ultimately the end of this sort of plot line is she rejects Solace's, uh, I guess, forward nature and does not want to take him up on a relationship and uh, Solace gets real pouty.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's back to pouty. That's his
0: one, uh, his one character trait we've seen through all these episodes. From horny to pouty, the Solace story. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, Anyway, let's get back to the A-plot. Back to Devin and Danzinger on their romantic getaway to pick up some water. Mm -hmm. They're riding around on one of those little go-karts, which this episode I caught the name of. They're called Dune Rails. Yeah, that's pretty good. Dune Rails. I liked it. Um, But as they're driving along, it just stops working for no reason. And I guess the batteries aren't charged? I do like this,
1: though, because... They just need, you know, for the plot, they need the car to break down. But there's no reason for it. And he just goes, oh, the battery's out. And you're like, but why? Why was the battery out? You guys knew you. They literally said they had hours and hours to drive. So why would they not check that?
0: Yeah. And he's even confused. He's just like, I don't know why this would happen. Well, uh, now we just have to sit here for a few hours and let it charge. And they're kind of just basically hanging out. There's a little, you know, will they, won't they stuff going on. But as they're, like, hanging out next to this big cliff face they've been driving past, two Terrans, like, burst out of the cliff like the Kool-Aid Man. <laughs> it's very much like that. Uh, but here's here's the question. They
1: burst out a la Kool-Aid Man, and Danziger and Devin are like, we got to get out of here and run away. But up to this point, the Terrans have never been violent towards them. If anything they've been they've shown friendship
0: in perhaps a peculiar way but they've never been aggressive no i also thought the same thing like up till now it's only ever been good advice or good intentions the terrians had so why they're quite fr- this freaked out i wasn't clear on but the terrians like basically get in front of the little dune buggy i guess in an effort to stop them from going anywhere and why were they squatting like that
1: <laughs> i don't know i don't know it just was weird. It's they do they you get a um a really high shot of them by the dune buggy and they're just like yeah, squatting. It's really odd. I was like I've never seen them act like spiders before or
0: crabs. <laughs> crabs. That's I mean, crabs is a good a good explanation. But essentially like I think what it is is they have to run away and be afraid a because they have to drop their comms device and break it so mm-hmm. they can't communicate back to camp. And then b for whatever reason, one of the Terrans, like, shoots a little, like, laser beam out of his staff at them, or not laser, like, electric bolt at them, and then Danzig returns fire, but, you know, uh, she tries to stop him, and he misfires and shoots their water supply, so now they're stuck in the desert without any water.
1: Yeah, and it's and then they get to argue more about, wh- where should we go, and what should we do?
0: Yeah, this whole sequence is kind of just to set up, I guess, the stakes. they can't communicate back. And they lost all their water and it's a little awkwardly handled, but this is just to set up the stakes. It's like they're trapped out there without water and no communication. So they they take a brief walk, trying to decide what to do. They have their binoculars and they're able to see, oh, there's the lake. It's about 12 kilometers away. And there's a bit of an argument about whether they should walk there or whether they should go back and get the the, mm, go-kart to drive over there. And the kind of interesting part about this is the argument actually spills into a bit of background detail on both the characters
1: Mm-hmm. she's a blue blood
0: that's what he calls her she's a real rich kid like
1: we we assumed before
0: yeah she's uh she's from the wealthy adair family and and she she ran a multi-orbit firm um though when when push she claims she wasn't a spoiled child because her parents were very tough on her i do like it though he's
1: he makes some comment he's like yeah i bet you uh i bet you had to make lots of decisions in like the big company that was just given to you and she's like I did have to make a lot of decisions. I was like, "Oh,
0: you're not making a good argument." Well, when he's kind of pushing back on her, she's very funny because she kind of dismisses Danzig. She's like, "Oh, I'm sure it was real tough living in the quadrant, huh?" As if to be like, "Oh, I know. You're from the you're from the hard place. Rub it in one more time."
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's like that that really really privileged person going like, "Oh, I know. I get it. You're poor. Like we've heard of it before." And so, and we do learn that yes, he has taken this job, and I think multiple jobs, because he is working off a debt from his grandparents.
0: Yeah, this was my favorite part, actually. He's a third-generation indentured drone because his parents or his grandparents came to the stations to start a better life, but they're still paying off the passage they had to pay for to get to the station. So so there, there are indentured slaves on the stations, which Danziger is one of them. I think this does play well for things they
1: have seeded earlier on. I think the show has done a good job at that, that give you hints of the societies we're dealing with and the relationships because of these. Um, I think you've picked up on it better than I have over these a few episodes, but I think it makes sense and is consistent with the characters we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, and I actually liked it too when a Danziger refers to himself as a drone Devin gets really upset with him. She, like, really thinks of it as a slur. And uh, Danzinger, like, kind of just like, oh, yeah, I know you prefer the term immigrant worker. He, yeah,
1: I, I like that, too. If that was if this was written now, he would have said, like, stop your virtue signaling.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does kind of play off as kind of like a well-meaning, wealthy person who wants to elevate a lower class. But is still like taking advantage of the economic benefit it gives to them. Like, it's exactly. It's that, she means well but she's not actually living well.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Um but as you mentioned he took this job because he wants to get true out of debt and what's sort of revealed here I guess is Devin's just like, "Oh, well you're not in debt anymore. As soon as the ship left, I authorized payment so you are now debt-free." And this kind of emboldens Dan to be like, "Oh, well then I guess you're not my boss. So we're go- we're not walking to that lake. We're going back. We're getting that cart and we're driving over there." If you really get into
1: the nitty-gritty of this, I don't know if I understand how uh, salaries and the economy work if people are leaving for decades at a time to go on and do these sort of missions and coming back in terms of how the debts and stuff work. But the important thing is she's not just your classic old rich lady. She's She's got a heart of gold, too. <laughs> Well, I mean, he didn't incur all that interest on that debt while he
0: was gone. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. What's what she didn't tell him is that she's been collecting interest. Uh, Devin, though, she gives in. She's like, fine, we'll do it your way. Even though, you know, she's correct about one thing and she's just like, if the Terrians are standing in our way, they probably do just don't want us to move that cart down there. So maybe we should just respect that and walk down. And when they get back to where the cart was, they discover the Terrians are gone and they're like, okay, that's fine. Let's just get in this car and we'll drive down. Like, They're gone. Let's just get going. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, now the car's wheels are hung up in the sand.
1: It's because of what we'll learn later. But for some reason, this vehicle specifically to drive in this sort of, uh, in these sort of conditions can't now drive.
0: And as they're trying to get it going, those two pop back out of the sand when no one's looking and I guess stun them with their uh, electricity staffs. Now, uh, we won't say what the ending is the, of, of this episode
1: is. I think as a viewer, you assume that they are trying to do something good and are just communicate in a weird way. However, I think the, the believability of this is stretched a little bit from a few of these scenes that we've seen. Like I just, uh, even if it's like they're trying to help, I just don't know if you, I buy the way they're going about it, even if it is two different species that are having trouble communicating.
0: Yeah, it's it definitely feels like neither side is trying very hard to explain what they would like. Yeah, well maybe that's a good way of saying it. Uh, but when Dan Zinger and Devin come to after being like zapped unconscious, they've been tied up by a bunch of vines that as they put it are stronger than stronger than biocomp rope. And they've basically been tied up and their go-kart has now been buried under the sand by the Terrians?
1: Yeah, I would have liked to seen the scene where they were using their staffs as shovels to bury it.
0: But I got to say, the next... The scene that kind of (laughs) happens here, I don't know what... I mean, there's not a lot of ways to interpret it, how it was shot and how it's executed, but they're tied up. So Devin and Danziger can't move their hands or legs. It's very dry. They're in the desert. They're very thirsty having come to. Devin's like, I need some water. Danziger's like, the canteen is on my belt reach down with your mouth and get it and we just get a scene where the camera is like from his waist up so we can't see what's below it and just her struggling to get her mouth down to his waist and they keep shooting it like like it keeps going on and on it's insane they shoot it
1: again this is my point earlier where i why i think the scene with the grendler and morgan was shot the way it was This is shot specifically so you will, they're hoping the viewer will laugh at the implied oral sex that is not happening, but that's how it's shot. You just see your head bobbing up and down. He's also making facial expressions as if he's in uh, the throes of ecstasy for some reason. He's just like, yeah, oh, that's right. It's like I do really just think it's a joke that at the time probably was a little bit risque on the line of tasteless but it was, a, it was accepted.
0: I just think now, as we're looking at it, it's just like, guys, this is so stupid. And I know you're making up those sounds he was making, but it is no joke that once her head dips out of frame, Dan Ziger says, he he softly says, "At a girl. That's right, that's right, he what does. What the fuck? Yeah. And like, <laughs> can you just imagine these
1: actors reading this script? And they just, it's just, again, I, I really do, and this is not to forgive it, but I do think, at the time, the intention was, isn't this funny? And there wasn't much more thought put into it. it but it has aged really badly. And it's not very funny either. Because it's also shot in like a weird way where like she has the water like dripping down her face. And she's like, oh, oh. And, then, and then it's like, they, it's not even enough for the gag that he's like, yeah, but I, you better go get some more. And she's got to go down again. It's just like, oh, man, it just never ends.
0: The thing that's crazy, too, is like, for all intents and purposes, every episode up till now has been a family show.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's these last two episodes have started to uh, uh, use this particular type of humor.
0: Anyway, she ends up spilling the water. So she gets a sip. Dan Zucker doesn't get any. Now they're really in trouble and they have to get out of there. And because they can't stop going to the same well, like they're both sitting there and she's are like, oh, I spilled the water. and He's just like, well, I guess you better get the knife off my belt. Yeah. Her head just goes back down. I was like, what the f- what is
1: happening? What I like, though, about this is They spend this probably takes, you know, whatever, let's say 45 seconds, a minute and a half of this direct scene, because it's funny, uh, as they think. But them escaping isn't given any time because the next time we see them, they've been able to get out of this terrible situation where they can't move their arms and they can't get out. But like that, that's the scene you think that you would have of like them trying to get out and how difficult it is. But there's no time given for that because we've had a lot of water drinking.
0: Yeah, basically it cuts from there. They've now walked most of the way to the lake. They're they're seeming a little delirious from dehy- dehydration. In fact, as they kind of get to the, the lake's kind of on a cliff side, so they don't have a clear access point to it. And Danziger just like attempts to run off the side of the cliff.
1: Yeah, I get this baby a little bit outside of his character, but in terms of this episode, he's a little bit more headstrong. So... He's like, no, we're not going to go down the hill. I can just run and get there. Of course, he runs, trips down the hill, almost falls into the water, but is now close enough to be able to lower the uh, water flask into the into the lake. He starts doing that very slowly, gets it under the water, and as he pulls it up, the flask is like started to melt.
0: Yeah, the, the lake apparently is electrified like it's it kind of looks like it's either acid has been poured on the canteen or it's like some sort of corrosive something has happened but what we kind of they look across the lake and they see those two dipping their staffs into the lake and i guess whatever this lake is it powers the electricity in their staffs so you can't drink it of the lake because it is an electricity water lake this
1: seems like not the most suitable planet for humans to try to inhabit and, and also, they've done very little research. They don't know what aliens are there. They don't know the vegetation. They don't know the water sources. They don't know the climates.
0: I mean, it definitely seems like it was a little premature to send an entire colony here. Maybe like a research mission first would have been helpful. Yeah. Can
1: you imagine if they, there was no water? Like eventually, you know, they're going to find water. But can you imagine they just they actually just ran out of water and the only water available is this electricity water. And so they all just die the next day.
0: Just a really grim 10 minute film. Yeah, <laughs> just 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 slowly.
1: You just get to see that kid who is sick at the beginning. You get to see him just dying of dehydration. And then
0: uh, True walks over to him and screams. <laughs> um, but basically, they are unable to hydrate. They're out of water. They're already delirious. And now they have to attempt to walk back back to where they came presumably to camp but uh you know they're kind of just walking back in a direction night falls danzinger collapses and uh again for the second time in two episodes he turns to devin and says raise true for me because i'm gonna die i think he really just doesn't want to take care of this kid anymore (laughs) but devin's able to keep going she gets back to the go-kart It's been now unburied by the Tarians, and as she's looking at how to get it running again, she realizes the sand under the tires is actually wet. Like, the Tarians have raised groundwater somehow to give them the water they needed, and she's able to just, like... I mean, she's, like, sticking her hand into sand and just drinking the water directly out, but I guess she's very thirsty.
1: You have to do a little bit... uh, You just have to kind of accept that all of the actions before... Uh, from the Tarians were done in good faith I think it's a little hard to buy the many things that happened but what we learn is that this was all because they were just trying to show them where water was or that they could help bring them water
0: yeah I mean we cut back to Danziger who's passed out and the Tarians pop up there too and there's an earth cactus I mean I think it's supposed to be an alien cactus but there's just like a cactus behind it that just looks like it's from earth and they break it open and like feed him the cactus water so he doesn't die uh, they've been looking for water. Have they even tried to look for other other sources? Because clearly they're available. They should ask best what they do
1: on Earth. They just don't know. That's true. You're very right. That's because they don't. They just see them as
0: drones. You know. Yeah. Those those blue those blue color drones. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's had a drink now. Yeah, and Devin goes picks up Danziger in the go kart. They head back to camp with so much water that everybody in the the Eden Project just has a water fight now. They went from so little water they had to ration it to so much water they can just throw it around willy-nilly. Well,
1: one, I don't think there's enough water in six of those containers because they weren't that big um, to be wasting it that way. And the second thing is it seems like they haven't learned any lessons about rationing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a fun scene where everyone has a water fight to kind of celebrate how the hard times are behind them. But it does feel like it's like, you guys, you don't have that much water. Oh, and we should mention one thing. To finish Julia's story,
1: Julia eventually is like, yeah, I'm back on board with the council. She has a couple scenes where she goes back and forth. And then at the end of the episode, Devin comes up to her and basically is like, I've been really rough on you. I know that I didn't really want you here, but you've done a
0: great job. And then Julia's like, whatever, I'm out of here. <laughs> I did want to make one note, though, going back to that water fight, Jordan, and this is kind of just for you or it's aimed at you anyway. OK, so they're having a big water fight. They're panning around the group. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's like having a great time. And then the camera pans to Morgan and he has pulling a face that I have seen you pull before.
1: <laughs> oh, really?
0: The, the, well, he's trying to shave. That's what happens.
1: And then some of they like pour water on his head and he's irritated. When have you seen me pull pull the face?
0: I just, it was just like a man who could not look more annoyed by these people who are having quote unquote fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of those sad things where, uh, you know, there's that, there's that reflection back at you and I'm sadly probably more like Morgan than any of these characters.
0: Yeah. I, I was just imagining if a water fight broke out next to you, it would be a very similar situation. <laughs> I would agree with that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the end of the episode. We, we, uh, we've got water. Everything's all right again. Another, what we've, we've seen is in these
1: episodes, we've at least had one uh, search party and uh, at least a few more instances of all their
0: gear breaking down. Something that happens every episode. Oh, you know what? That's true, Jordan. We didn't, we didn't count the uh, search party reference in the water episode. Uh, there is a point where they're like, huh, Devin and Dan Ziger have been gone a long time. Should we do a search party? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, let's give it a little longer. I think it's just a drinking game for the characters at this point. <laughs> uh, I've never seen a show with so many
1: search parties. That's what it should be called. Search party two <laughs> all right jordan you want to you want to rate these episodes Mm-hmm. yeah well why don't you give me your your uh score for the first episode what are we calling it what's the number on this
0: one this one's a memory play yeah what'd you think of this one i mean it's not these shows are kind of suffering from they're not quite cohesive like you know how does this lady's brain microchip breakdown down into a contagious pathogen that could infect all the humans and then it's cured by a miracle Grendler cure like that kind of stuff is like super lazy some super lazy stuff there's some good world building still going on with uh, like I like Dr. Heller's working for the council but it. I'm going to give it a I think I'm going to give it a six
1: yeah I'm going to be very similar I'm going to give it a five and a half for all the reasons that you said but Mostly for me, it feels like the first chunk of episodes, maybe the first three or four episodes, at least had a bit of momentum that I felt like they were pushing forward towards something. And now it feels like the show is quite happy just to have them sort of spin their wheels. And that's what it feels like to me that we're just going to do that for a while until the next big character shows up. And I'm guessing it's uh, Terry O'Quinn's character who's going to, you know, come up for a few episodes, then they're going to spin their wheels again.
0: Yeah, I, I'm also hoping Terry Quinn puts a little momentum behind it. Like, we saw some good use of Tim, Tim Curry uh, Gall. as uh, as the villain. And and Terry Quinn has a certain amount of, like, I don't know, uh, gravitas to him There, he can make a good villain. So I'm hoping they put him to good use. Um, on that note, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll write water. Similar problems, like, I didn't care for the solace Dr. Heller love story. The Danziger Devin stuff is only sort of working for me. It was a bit better than it has been, but it's still not that compelling. And the reasons the story kicks off, like the Terrans could have been more clear and I don't know, but I did like that backstory of like indentured servitude on the stations. And she's from a rich family. I'm glad I got that information. I'm going to bump it up to 6.5 and
1: very similar. I'm going to give it a six. I just think, I don't know. It feels like, we're just kind of moving chess pieces around, you know, and and not the uh, most subtle or enjoyable ways. It's sort of like we've established these characters now. And they just keep doing the same thing a la search parties, and just pairing them up. So I'm just hoping that maybe we've got this out of our system. And we're gonna find something new and interesting. I mean, for the life of me, I just want them to arrive where they're going. I just I've had enough episodes of them marching down the sand dunes or whatever. It's like just arrive where you're gonna go. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, it does feel like the episodes are kind of like they need a plot. And in that plot, they're going to give us some interesting information. But it's just like maybe just get all the interesting information out of the way and get us where we're going quicker. Like, let's get things rolling. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of abandoned ideas, uh, how meaningless are the two voiceovers in both these episodes?
1: Oh, I mean, we don't even need to mention them anymore because... They clearly, the only point to them is to give some dialogue to a character, regardless of they're involved in the plot or not. It's just like, I'm sure True's going to get one soon. I'm sure Zero's going to get one, you know, fingers crossed. It's just, it doesn't really matter. It's just like, they're, they're inconsequential.
0: Yuli hasn't had one yet and neither has Morgan. (laughs) There's, there's still many episodes to go. Um, but yeah, that about wraps up for this episode. We'll be back next week with a little more Earth Two. Uh, hopefully, joined by a guest next week too. Um, but in the meantime, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail dot com if you've got some Earth Two knowledge to drop on us, and of course on Instagram and Twitter, our handle is at continuumdrag, and we'll have some uh, little little bits and moments from the show.
1: Mm-hmm. I guarantee that we're gonna have the moment where she's trying to get the water bottle off his belt.
0: Got to get those clicks, you know. <laughs> Um, But until then, listener, uh, thanks for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then.
1: Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Siedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Yunes.